So through the end of November, our sermon time is going to be spent focused on stories. We'll focus on God's story as found in the Bible, and we'll focus on our stories which find meaning and purpose in God's story. And as we explore how God acted for and interacted with his people over thousands of years, our goal will be to come to know and to love God at a depth with an understanding that we haven't experienced before. And we, as baptized disciples of Jesus Christ who are actually enrolled in God's story, we have a desire to know his story because we know like we saw last week in the creation story, that God's story truly is our story. And we know that God always intended for our stories and for his story to be the same story. A story of a perfect relationship between us and our God. So last week we saw that the world that God always intended to be was in Eden. It was in the garden. It was paradise. And we saw that the central feature of paradise that God created for his people was a relationship with him, a relationship with their creator, a relationship with their God. So when God brought light into his creation, his his light wasn't just the light that came from the sun. The, The sun gives us sustaining energy. The sun gives us energy producing Uh, energy in the world, but it wasn't just that. It was also the powerful light of God's presence in open communion with mankind. It was God's relational presence in the lives of Adam and Eve that made Eden truly paradise. But God didn't just stop with relationship. We also saw that he created a garden for Adam and Eve that was full of pleasures and it was full of delights. It was a pleasing garden. It was very good. It was pleasing and very good in God's eyes, and it was full of delights for his people. And that's where we left Adam and Eve last week, in the garden, in paradise. We left them in perfect relationship with their God, and we left them in perfect relationship with each other, and we left them in perfect relationship with the rest of creation. And I don't know how long that paradise lasted When you read Genesis, it seems like maybe it was about five minutes that Adam and Eve really enjoyed paradise in the garden. And I'm sure it was longer than that. But regardless of the length of the time, our story today is a tragedy. It's a tragedy because those relationships didn't last. Those relationships weren't sustained. One of the things that I'm going to be doing this morning is I'm going to be using mostly first-person pronouns as I talk about the story of the fall. I'll refer to events that occurred thousands of years ago, but I'm going to refer to them as if they're occurring right now. I'll be speaking about things that we did, and I'll talk about things that happened to us, and I'll refer to behaviors that are ours. And the reason that I'm doing this is because I want us to all recognize that this story really is our story. And these events really are are our events. And these behaviors really are our behaviors. So I won't spend my time pointing fingers at things that they did. And I won't refer to events as happening to them. And we won't be referring to their behaviors Instead, I want us to accept the fact that their behaviors and they can't be separated from our behaviors and us. They can't be separated from our behaviors now. So as we return to the garden, 
We need to recognize that they, like us, not only lived in the midst of God's great gifts and they lived in the midst of God's boundaries, they, like us, lived with the gift of freedom. The gift of freedom to choose what they were going to do with God's gifts and the freedom to choose what they were going to do with God's boundaries. And we'll see that in freedom that they, like us, possessed a gift that's even more dangerous than fire. So let's look at what we did with our freedom after enjoying our five minutes in paradise. Genesis chapter 2 and 25. The man and his wife were both nude, and they felt no shame. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And the man answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return from the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living creatures. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. What a tragic story. 
It's a tragic story that moves very quickly and abruptly from the gifts of paradise to open rebellion against God, against the giver of those good gifts. Open rebellion against God when the choice was made to misuse one of those gifts, when the choice was made to misuse the gift of freedom. And that choice was made when we chose to listen to the lies of Satan And then our shame-free paradise was replaced by lives filled with shame and filled with guilt. And I want us to make sure that we all understand this isn't the story of two hapless country rubes that were tricked into making a decision without understanding what they were doing. That's not the story at all. Instead, this is just the first installment of a drama that's been playing out for thousands of years playing out in the lives of people for thousands of years. And it's a drama that plays out in our lives every single day. And this drama is centered on a choice. And the choice is this. Will we listen to the Father of truth, who has given us every good gift we need, or will we listen to the Father of lies, who will tell us everything that we want to hear? It's a choice. Will we listen to our loving and protective creator and respect his boundaries? Or will we listen to our destructive enemies and ignore God's boundaries? It's a choice. And we make that choice every single day. And I think it's also important for us to realize that Satan is still alive and Satan is still active today. Satan just didn't put in an appearance at the garden, mess things up for Adam and Eve, and then exit stage left. That's not what he did. Satan is still active. He still works today. And he still works against God, and he still works against God's people today. Peter put it this way, writing thousands of years after the incident in the garden. In 1 Peter 5, he said, Be self-controlled and alert because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan's still alive. Satan's still active, and he's still working to foster rebellion against God today. We also need to understand that Satan's telling the same lies to us today that he told Adam and Eve while in the garden. So I want you to see if these lies sound at all familiar to you. Satan's lie, number one, was you will not surely die. We might hear it this way today. You won't really go to hell. Have you ever heard that lie? This is the lie Satan uses to deceive us by convincing us that God doesn't really have our best interests at heart. He doesn't really have our best interests at heart when he gives us the boundaries that we aren't to cross. This lie says, it's really okay to eat that fruit. Surely a loving God won't punish you for eating that fruit. It's the lie that says, it's okay to have sex with someone other than your spouse. Surely a loving God won't really punish you for doing that. But the truth is, God's commands are for our own good. And there are consequences in this life, and there are consequences in the life to come for ignoring God's boundaries. There's eternal consequences if we choose to live lives that flaunt God's boundaries and flaunt God's commands. 
Moses was speaking to his people. And he asked them a question. He said, what does the Lord your God ask of you? It was a rhetorical question because then he gave them the answer. What does the Lord God ask of you? This is what he asked. He asked you to fear him. He asked you to walk in obedience to him. He asked you to love him. He asked you to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. And he asked you to observe his decrees and his commands. And he does that, Moses says, for your own good. The decrees and commands from God are for our own good. The God of truth does have our best interests at heart. So please don't listen to the lie that says that he doesn't. Satan's lie number two says, your eyes will be open. Or we might hear it this way today. You're too smart to listen to all those old superstitions that are found in the Bible. This is the lie Satan uses to deceive us by convincing us that God's boundaries are for his protection, not for our protection. It's the lie that says God doesn't want you to know too much, and God doesn't want you to experience too much, and God doesn't want you to think too much, because if you do those things, you might see behind the curtain. The mystery might be taken away of God, and you'll no longer be in awe of God, and then he won't be able to keep you under his thumb. It's the lie today that says his church doesn't want you to know too much or experience too much or think too much. Because if you do, you'll see behind the curtain of the church and the mystery will be taken away and the church will no longer be able to keep you under its thumb. But the truth is God doesn't need protection. Our God wants to be known. He welcomes inquiring minds. He has nothing to hide because he's the source of all knowledge and he's the source of all truth. And don't listen to the lie that says he isn't. And then there's Satan's lie number three. And that lie says you will be like God. Or as we might hear it today, you can do it on your own. This is the lie Satan uses to deceive us by convincing us that we are better off having the inmates run the asylum. It's the lie that tells us that we don't need God telling us what to do because we have life figured out and we know what's best for us. It's the lie that makes the arrogant claim that the created being knows better than the creator. But the truth is, The God who created us in his image knows us better than we know ourselves. And he knows what is best for us and he wants what is best for us. So please don't listen to the lie that says he doesn't. And then Satan's lie number four says, look at that tree. Or as we might hear today, look at that house. Look at that car, or look at that job, or look at that promotion, or maybe even look at that man, or look at that woman, or look at that lifestyle. It's the lie Satan uses to deceive by drawing our attention to the tree and away from our relationship with God. It's the lie that says, I'll bet that pretty piece of fruit tastes really good, and I bet when you eat it, it'll really make you happy. 
It's the lie that says, I'll bet that pretty house will make you happy. Or that pretty car, or that new job, or that promotion, or that different man, or that different woman, or that lifestyle. I bet those things will really make you happy. It's the lie that says you can find paradise away from God. But the truth is, God is the source of paradise, and God is the source of happiness, and God is the source of fulfillment, and he's the source of peace, and he's the source of satisfaction. So please don't believe the lie that says he isn't. It's a tragic story. And the tragedy of the story is that we believed those lies then, and we continue to believe those lies today. And in the garden, when we believe those lies about God, we betrayed our relationship with God. And once we betrayed that relationship, we truly couldn't remain in the garden. We couldn't remain in paradise. And we couldn't remain there because the garden was built on perfect relationships. It was built on the perfect relationship between God and his created beings. It was built on the perfect relationship between man and woman. And it was built on the perfect relationship between mankind and the rest of creation. And the rebellion in the garden against God altered all of those perfect relationships. And it made it impossible for now sinful man to continue to live in the perfection of the garden. And there's a footnote to that story that I find very remarkable is that Even in the midst of that, God looked down on Adam and Eve in compassion. And he clothed them. He covered up their shame. So as we leave the garden, we leave the garden humiliated. We leave the garden pointing fingers of blame everywhere but at ourselves. As we leave the garden, it's just like God promised. Life is not the same. It's no longer paradise. The sin of rebellion made life much more difficult. Pain was multiplied. In fact, pain became debilitating in many cases. Securing food was no longer a joy. It became a chore. But most significantly, outside the garden, relationships are no longer perfect. Not only was our relationship with God altered, but our relationship with each other was altered, and our relationship with creation was altered, and the world became what God never intended for it to be. Creation became hostile and dangerous to mankind, and mankind became hostile and dangerous to the rest of creation. And people became hostile and dangerous to each other. And we see the first murder occur. Between brothers of all things, as Cain in his anger and his jealousy killed his brother Abel. And that's not the worst of it. It went downhill even from there. To the point where, after a matter of just generations, God's creation had perversely transitioned from very good... Very good to continuously evil. We read this in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. 
the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only on evil all the time. So the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So we see God consumed with anguish, consumed with grief, filled with pain. And he makes a judgment. And his judgment was, it's time to purify all of the earth. God determined that it was time to wash all of the evil away in one great purging flood. But he holds out hope. And he holds out hope in the person of one man. One righteous man, Noah. And Noah held the hope of a fresh start for all of creation in his ark. But in just a matter of generations, that hope for a fresh start was lost. And we see in the arrogance of the Tower of Babel, we see, we see where we assert our independence one more time from God. We see where we build a monument to ourselves, a monument to bring glory and fame and honor to ourselves instead of glory and fame and honor to our God. Genesis 11 and verse 3, the people said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the earth. And God once more acted. This time not with a purging flood and not with the hope of a new beginning. But God replaced arrogance with confusion and he scattered the people over the face of the earth. And as we leave this story, we leave the people far from paradise. And we leave them far from their God. And that's how this chapter in God's story and our story ends. A chapter that began in paradise and ends in confusion and separation with seemingly little hope for us and little hope for reestablishing our relationship with God. But we know better, don't we? We know better. We know better because we've been paying attention. We've been paying attention to God's story and we know that our creative, our relational, our loving our generous, our protective God, we know that he will once more act in creative and relational and loving and generous and protective ways for the benefit of his good creation and for the benefit of our relationship with him. So I want to invite everybody back next week for the next chapter in God's story as he once more acts and brings light, brings light to the nations. But I'm not ready to leave this chapter just yet. I want to once more look far ahead. Far ahead in God's story to Jesus' story. And I want us to see in Jesus' story that God once more 
acted. He acted for the benefit of you and me. He acted for the benefit of the shamed and guilty. Not by covering us with skins, but by completely covering our shame and guilt with the blood of Jesus, with the blood of his Son. You see, in Jesus' story, we see God purge all the evil from our lives. We see him wash away all the sin in our lives. And it's also through a great flood. It's through the great flood of his grace, through his Son on the cross. And because of that great flood of grace, we're able to look forward to a new Eden, to a new paradise, to a new heaven and a new earth where we once more will live in God's glorious light. So if you're here today, and you've reached a point like I did, where you're living outside of God's presence and you're filled with shame and guilt, if you've reached the point where you're tired because that shame and guilt is just too heavy to bear on your own, if you're at that point, I want you to know that Our creative and relational and loving and generous and protective Father God wants to completely cover up your shame. He wants to completely cover up your guilt. He wants to wash away your sin in the great flood of His grace. If you've reached that point, I want to beg you, don't listen to Satan's lies. Don't listen to what Satan says. Your shame and your guilt aren't too great for God's grace to wash away. If you're at that point, don't listen to Satan's lies. Because there is hope. And that hope is in Jesus who died so that you can live with your God. And that's the way he always intended for it to be. So if you've reached that point, won't you let us know? Won't you let us know because our God is your God and he can help. You can let us know that you're at that point in a couple of different ways. We're going to stand up and we're going to sing a song together. You can walk to the front and you can let us know that you have reached that point. If that's not comfortable for you, you can also make your way to the back and you can ask for directions to room 104. It's a more private setting where a couple of our elders Two godly men will be in there, and they would like nothing more than talk to you about their God and the flood of his grace. Whatever your need is, won't you let us know while we stand up and we sing this song together.